0: You know, for me, you know, connections and connecting with people and seeing them, you know, I think maybe that is for me, maybe that could be a part of my secret sauce. You know, I genuinely not. I love to connect with people. My husband tells me often, you can't just go to the grocery store and walk through the grocery store and get your list. You got to talk to (laughs) everyone But for me, you know, you just, you never know how you can impact somebody's life. And more so, I feel like we all have the capacity to give love. We are all one. Like, I genuinely, genuinely believe
1: that. Oh, yeah, this is a good one. You're about to hear from a master super connector, my buddy, Anicia McDowell, who is also just a total boss. She really knows how to run a business. And Anicia is a perfect example of why I get involved. With nonprofit communities because you meet the most amazing people. And in this episode, we talk about the benefits and why to get involved with nonprofits and philanthropies and what you can gain from it. We talk about the value of having platonic friends of the opposite sex, a big, big piece of my life, and how to ask for stuff through your network because Anicia is a master in that. She is also the coolest, basically, an angel and like one of the most highly evolved human beings that I know and that I'm friends with. So you're really going to enjoy this episode, and I'm going to let you take it away with my best friend's band from Miami, Florida, The Stiltsville. One, two, one, two, one, two, three, go! Go!
2: shit do to be late to hell with your lies i'm a sitter of my day oh yo give well, i want to be king i want to feel like you got it in friends like insane
1: anicia welcome to the chief executive connector podcast how are you today Awesome.
0: So great. So great, Pablo. Good to be with you.
1: Yes. Always good to see you. Always good to see you. Anicia, how did we meet?
0: Well, we met through a fantastic young professionals organization uh, through Habitat for Humanity mm-hmm. nonprofit. Um, so, as a part of their outreach to the community, they, I think, national had a, had a great idea to really start cultivating young leaders in community that might be interested in the mission. And so, I had the great charge of uh, building our young professionals organization for the affiliate and i am really excited and proud to say as you all know it became a model for the nation um so hyp miami hyp meaning habitat young professionals as an acronym really set an awesome standard i mean not even for the state of florida for the nation
1: so you know you know what's funny um, is that when you guys were telling us that While we were doing it we We're just like, yeah, whatever They just want us to do this thing Like, mm-hmm. I never really I never really believed it Until now that I've left Miami And I'm like in Jacksonville Being like, yo, where the, where's the young professional groups at? Like, yes. where, I went to I went to Habitat I tried to start one at Habitat in Jacksonville They're yes. like, oh yeah We kind of tried something 2009 But it didn't really work I was like, oh, so we were special <laughs> <You> know, <like. laughs> The same here So I
0: actually um, was asked to join the board of the Local Habitat uh, for Humidity here in Pinellas County, and I did, and I had a great uh, two-year tenure, Um, and that was one of my first questions. How's your HYP? And they were like, well, we're working on launching a Collegiate, and uh, then, you know, we really we really want to make it a goal to, to grow our young professionals group. And yeah, to your point, you just you realize, you know, when you have a an extremely motivated group of young people like, you know, this, that we had, right? Like we we were the exception to the norm.
1: I guess, so. right? Like, was that was that lightning in a bottle? Like, what what did we do right there? Right? Like, I oh. I have to assume that you at the helm play something. I think we had we got real lucky like with a think so. yeah, for <laughs> sure, for sure. We got lucky with a great crew. I don't know what do you what do you think? What do you think made it go well? I just wanted to mention I, you at the helm because I figured that that might be the one thing you don't bring up, but. <laughs>
0: Thank you. You obviously know me well. Um, So I would say, yeah, to your point, with a good ecosystem for any thriving organization or culture, um, we had, of course, great leadership, I would say, at the affiliate level right, an, or, an organization that knew what they wanted, right, mm. they had this goal, they hired the right people, so they brought me on as a specialist, um, really in corporate philanthropy, but I had a passion for youth empowerment, given my previous life, of which we'll talk about in a little bit, um, so they told me about this goal, and they, the, the person whose role I filled as an associate um, had gotten it started, but really saw the need once I met, like the extraordinary volunteers, like to to put some governance around it and put an action plan, put a plan together. But um, I would say definitely a number one, leadership at the top, hiring the specialist myself, and then having an extraordinary group of dedicated, passionate doers. Um, People, young professionals that really got it, loved the mission, and even if they didn't know a lot about the mission at first, I'd say when people felt the energy of the core group, and I would say I could think of that core group now, right? I could name you yeah. all off yeah, being yeah. one. Um so many people wanted to be a part. I remember at one point, if you remember, like forty people deep were at some of our meetings, and that's when we really saw the need to sort of um, yeah. scale back and really fine tune and, and develop that governance model, right? Where yeah. we had officers and mm-hmm. our created by, by the time I left, right? Um, created officers in a role on the uh, action bylaws.
1: Board. Shout out to Steve Warnick for a robust bylaws that he wrote out.
0: <laughs> yes, we right? developed bylaws. Yeah, yeah. I mean things like that impressive. Honestly, um, not even YP boards, general boards, you know, seek to have that sort of energy that we had. Right. So in so much as we had the governance, first and foremost, you had people and passion, right. And then doers, you have to have doers with anything, any organization, right. You, especially in the nonprofit world, you gotta have people that you can rely on a nonprofit, um, relies so heavily on volunteers so when you have that sweet sauce of an awesome you know mission that people can connect to and habitat has of course one of the most tangible missions tangible. Um, for a nonprofit. so it, it was that perfect ecosystem if you will
1: yeah it, it does it does help to have two queen bee doers at the top of you and Sharon. i think that was pretty golden <laughs> so all yeah. right anicia tell me so how did you land in habitat how did you land on that role what, what, what brought you to Miami to take that role? Or were you in Miami beforehand?
0: No, I'd recently relocated to Miami. I... I got started in this profession, I don't don't want to say by fluke at all. Um, Community service was also, was always rather really critical to my family life, my faith. I grew up in the Catholic Church, and so my mother was always baking something. We were always donating something. We were always taking some, delivering things to people. Our house was always full. We were always... um, you know, the family that was helping and taking care of. And for me, I would say giving back and philanthropy was always sort of in my bones, watching that from my parents. But then also, I remember, I have a vivid memory of going to church and taking cans to the front. They would invite, I remember the priest would invite the kids to the front of the church and take you back, Papa. And... I remember just the just the, the love. My heart would swell when I would take cans in front of the church and drop them off and feel them all proud and awesome. And that for me is is like my earliest memory of of um true philanthropy and giving back from from my youth. I remember being my eldest daughter's age around seven, eight, and just that's really where it got started to take you all the way back. But in terms of my career, uh, the the, the long and short with that is I went, I heard about this great organization called the Family Center. They helped um, uh, abused youth. Uh, it was a mission that really resonated with me. And I set up a volunteer, you know, went to a volunteer interview. And in my volunteer interview, after telling my own personal story of a survivorship, uh, the volunteer coordinator um, said to me, After us both wiping our tears, (laughs) she'd said, by chance, would you be interested in coming to work for us? (laughs) I'm like, "Um, I'd like to know more. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And so they had a position open that had just come open um, as a database coordinator and really, you know... for anybody that is, is in the nonprofit world, your database is your organizational memory, right? It's While it is grunt work, it is some of the most treasured work, um, the most valuable work your organization could do to have what we call a clean database, right? It's what every organization aspires to have. It's where... Nonprofits keep all of their donor information, confidential financials, of course, but good nonprofits keep, you know, a plethora of information, everything about their donors, profiles, da 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 da. So I was charged with learning about this database. They sent me to um, train uh, at a place called Black, I call it Blackbod Compound, but um, a razor's edge Razor's Edge was the database and um, it was like a Rolls Royce. I would soon learn of uh, databases and it was a beast and I was scared of it at first, but I was like, I got this. <laughs> and you know I had great again great leaders behind me that invested in me and we're going to talk a lot about investment both on the donor side but on the people side because it's so critical, right? So they sent me to the compound to learn best practices on how to master this beast and I did and I was like felt like I was in a dream. Blackbot is like you know, like arriving at the Google compound. And so I went to all these conferences and got to know other young professionals that were new to the profession. And I just, I was in heaven, like making beans for money, but was so happy to be working at a place that I had a passion for as a volunteer. Um,
1: Is this Was this like right out of college? Like you, you left college, you went to volunteer and this was your first job kind of thing?
0: So second job. So okay. directly out of college, I actually, I worked I put myself through school, um, mm-hmm. definitely supported the family, but I was one of the first girls to, to graduate from university. But no, I actually put myself through school um, as a business manager <laughs> for Kinko's back in the day, really take me back, Pablo. But uh, so I worked for Kinko's and in their integration with FedEx Office first. And um, so that was really my first job out of college because I just transferred uh, with the organization. But this was my first job. In the field that I chose as my profession, that found me and I found it. So yeah, this this really was I call my my first first true nonprofit job, um, but not my first job job out of college.
1: So it it sounds like you got a uh, you got into the nonprofit world like the equivalent of let's say somebody that wants to be a great marketer business manager gets in and somebody's just like, all right, I want you to dominate Salesforce. Is that, is that kind of like you Very came in from like the guts?
0: Yes, absolutely. Okay. They believed in training. Um, and also, you know, having me join the sort of foremost organization that trained fundraising professionals. So that's the association of fundraising professionals of which I'm on the board of here, mm-hmm. um, in, in Tampa Bay. And you know it's interesting because everything comes full circle, right? I was just telling the leader of our YP organization here I want to relaunch um, our mentorship program because from the onset for me, mentorship really put me where I'm at now. Yes, I had chutzpah, yes, I had passion, but leadership believed in you know giving me the right tools, training me the right way, um, and encouraging me. so I had that um, so I it's so critical to give that back.
1: Okay. So you start with this family trust and then what happens? Where was that? Was that in North Carolina? What was that?
0: Yeah. So the family center in Charlotte, North Carolina, which was at the time, you know, young professional Mecca is still is, is back in 2004. Yeah. So I, you know, after, so that organization had a camp and I was very involved with it. Certainly fundraising and, um, Quick story and how I developed into a major gift officer. So we had this big event that we did annually. As any number, you know, most nonprofit organizations, in addition to their major gift programs, grants, they have, of course, your events, right? Small community events to large four hundred person, you know, six figure fundraising events. And so I was asked to speak at this fundraising event. They quickly figured out that I could probably do a little bit more than manage a database when they heard me speak, I guess. And uh, they asked me, they honored me. And I'm going to say honor because um, they they honored me with the opportunity to read the story of one of the children that we served. And I say we served because that's exactly how I looked at my role, how we were in service to bettering our community and healing broken children. And so I read the story of this young girl. And Pablo, it was like reading my own story into a fundraising event where people have been drinking for a little bit, right? Like, it's a lot to hush some of the wealthiest people in the community, 400 plus deep, that have been having a, you know, they're at a fete, They're having a great time. And so I, tapping into my, uh, tapping into my musical background as an artist, I stood quietly and I hushed the room, and then I went in, and I read the story of this young girl that was a survivor, and it was like reading my own, and I was, I was right at home. I commanded that audience, I shared her story, and then the, the auctioneer got up and did the ask, and he brought it down. And I, my boss quickly brought me in and said, you need to be a major gift officer. <laughs> you need to get in front of people. And that set me on my trajectory, started off in faith relations and kind of went from there. And so this role in faith relations and grants springboarded me to an opportunity with another tremendous organization called Mecklenburg Ministries. They were an interfaith organization um, dedicated to social justice issues and rallying the faith community, business community, um, and legislators in the community. And it was incredible. I learned I would say the greatest lessons in the possibility of coordination and the possibility of collaboration and the possibility of bringing people from all walks of life, all faiths, um, all, all uh, genders, races, and also uh, across the aisle. Um, it was an incredible experience for me to see the community at large rally around the needs of community um, so that was sort of my next that was my next step and a huge move up for me I was a development director there which is like the big deal because I essentially had my boss's position in this new role again had tremendous leadership and board um and board the an extremely working board that saw um saw a lot in me and developed me and gave me great opportunity and um from there, that's when I, I relocated to Florida. And then that, that's when I started working at Habitat. And so you find me now um, in a place where I am now consulting and helping other nonprofits, which is incredible to use my 15 year, uh, fifteen years of experience to, to help nonprofits. So,
1: yeah. All right. so you're, you're talking about a lot of things that, and this is exactly the conversation I want to have with you. I think that the formation of a non-profit professional that, you know, the, obviously there is, it stratifies by talent, right? But the people that rise quickly through the ranks of, of the non-professional world that have proven that they can execute, right? Like you're talking about walking in, learning CRM at a really, really high level, Yeah, then, I, I, you know, then, Then public speaking and presentation to oh I'm sorry then event planning and event execution, then public speaking and presentation to large audiences, and then making really sensitive, really big asks. Mm -hmm. To to me, that formation is—is that what Merrill Lynch wants, (laughs) right?
2: (laughs) Do
0: you know something? I so with regard to that, it's interesting. Like trial by fire is exactly what you get when you get into the nonprofit world because you've got organizations with big goals, right? big mission goals, big community goals. Um and you've got to get in there and learn quick. Think on your feet. You have the opportunity to learn a lot very fast. Um you have the opportunity if you're smart to learn from pretty incredible people, right? Look at the makeup of a lot of nonprofit boards. It's some of your foremost leaders, you know, in the community. So if you if you're if you're wise, you know, you do what you can. You you learn what you can. You do your best to not burn out because that can easily happen, right? Nonprofit—it's no secret. Nonprofit turnover is no joke. Um, to the tune of you know, two you know, percent a year, you you're losing a lot of people. You know, especially in the development field. Um, so it's it's while it's one of the most rewarding things you can do to serve your community in this way as a nonprofit professional it can be grueling if you don't find a balance with you know taking care of yourself and you know pushing ahead um, and learning what you can but by the same token um, really maintaining like, a healthy lifestyle, and that's that's definitely something that I had to learn through the years. Um, I had, but again, you know, having leaders that taught you that, but then I also had leaders that didn't sleep. <laughs> I'd wake up in the morning to to five o'clock, three o'clock in the morning emails. You know, before the days of the smartphone, would it be pinging off the you know pinging off the charts.
1: Yeah. Um, So how did you, how did you find that balance early on? And you said like, like when I met you, you were single and about to have a baby and you're telling me that you found all this balance as, (laughs) as like a single mom, like how to talk. Oh my gosh.
0: I was, you know, it's so crazy. That was such a year for me of uh, change since we're going there. Yeah. Um, Yeah. So life was not going as planned, you know, uh, Except for, you know, the joy and blessing of a little girl um, ended up, you know, I'll lay the cards out there, you know, had a a marriage and plan and had this whole grand idea for myself and learned that, you know, my partner didn't want to be with me any longer and there I was coming to a new community, starting a wonderful new job and we were expecting a baby and life was upside down and the only stability I had was this work and I knew how to grind, I knew how to work hard and so I continued to do that because it offered me a lot of stability. I, um, thankfully, you know... Grew some really uh, wonderful friendships that you know with yourself and others. I would say that became my family and became um, a real means of support engine of me. Um, you know, Sharon being the president was—I call her mommy number two. She she was right there alongside me, planning you know and the planning of YP meetings and events and holding the baby in the arm while doing that, you know, and we did it together. We did it as a community. So for me, that that's an incredible story of that time. And I would say, you know, how did I find balance? I don't know that I found balance until I would say within the last three years, I was still grinding as a single mom until I met my wonderful husband of now um, and, and had his support, you know, have, because I was far away from my family, there were most of them were in North Carolina yeah. um, so th- I would say, you know for me, the lessons that I have learned in finding balance is you 've got to set healthy boundaries for yourself you 've got to learn to say no, although in the nonprofit profession we say it's not a no it 's a not yet, but in the case of creating um, healthy boundaries for yourself you you sometimes do have to say no and I might not say be comfortable saying I may not be the right person for that but I'll help you find someone I love being a connector so one of you know for me and, and I would say you and I share that you know we love being connectors for good we love being change makers for good um, we find that drives us right that feeds us but by the same token there's only one of us um so I would say, you know, for me, finding balance is that how can I reach into my network and say, all right, who can I help to connect to this person? How can I help them to achieve this goal if it's not me? Um, so that for me has been an incredible tool uh, to to help others and and not feel like I have to take things on. That that was one of that's been my my one of my greatest lessons. I like um, that.
1: I like that a lot. I like that a lot. I like I like yeah. the idea that it's easier to say no when you have a wide network that you can point someone towards. <laughs>
0: Yeah, no, for real. And and that's what, you know, beautiful things and, and platforms like what we have access to today, I think make it even easier, right? If we know, if we use those tools and platforms, LinkedIn, I'm going to, you know, drop in LinkedIn because it's incredible um, how I use that. Most especially in my fundraising um, profession and corporate philanthropy, specifically looking to meet gatekeepers in a, in a company wasn't always easy. And so I would find someone in my network that would have a one or. Or a two or even a three connection say hey let me tell you what i need to do um would you be willing and here and making it really easy for them right scripting them and saying this is this is what the goal is usually around my of course my my nonprofit work um i'm Ta- saying can you help open the door for me
1: i'm gonna stop you talk me through that process right talk me through I, I, i'm just reading right now brian glazier's book and he talks about how he pitches and when he okay. pitched a, a Hollywood movie, you know, like when he went to pitch Splash, right? He pitched it a thousand times as like a romantic comedy and, of a guy falling in love with a mermaid. And until he finally was just like, this is a story about finding love and finding the perfect person but there's just something holding it back right so like how do you do you do you approach ask like that because it sounded kind of like you do that right like do you when you're going to ask for an introduction or you're going to ask for a leg up how do you give me kind of like your process of, of approaching well when you make a
0: connection with someone you know get ready you know like the, the prep work in your mind and even on paper rather you know what am i going to ask of this perper- of this person how am i going to 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 make it easy for them to make that ask for me asking them if they're willing to even do that so in the case of my nonprofit work, depending upon the mission, reaching out say we'll say Pablo, I know going into this, Pablo's connected to Arnie and Arnie is the second in command to the CEO that I need to, um, that I need to get to know. And I know Arnie is a decision maker. I know the CEO, um, trust Arnie. So I need to get to know Arnie, right? So he's a, a key gatekeeper. Um, so ideally I'm reaching out to Pablo, um, I need to reach out on behalf of Habitat. This company has been, um, has been prospected or their name has been put forward by a board member. However, I read them about them in the business journal. We need to get to know them. And I think that their values align with our organizational values, right? So that sort of homework and background, I'm ready and prepared to tell you my case. Like I've done my research. I know that they're a good fit. I'm not coming to you to waste your time. I'm coming to you saying, hey, Look, I've qualified them. They're a fit. Here's who I need to get to know. And here's my ask. Are you willing to help me get in to talk to Arnie? Because I know Arnie is the right hand of Jack. And I know Jack's a decision maker, but he trusts Arnie. And you know Arnie. Sorry, I had another call coming and Did I lose you?
1: You're good. You're good. You're good. Okay. Sorry. Yeah, Anyhow,
0: so that... Hold on. That hold on. Take, a, take like a
1: pause and then start. And that way I can just edit, edit in easy. Right. Sure. Okay, so zero?
0: So that's, you know, that's, that's really the process, right? So I'm coming in, having done my research, I know exactly what I need uh, of you as a connection to make that connection for me. And then I'm also making it easy for you and saying, Pablo, here's exactly what I need from this company and here are the main bullets. I'm giving you four bullets. want to be respectful of the other person. Don't send them a soliloquy. Don't send them a what major. You can send attachments, but you want to highlight what are the core points that you need to get that i need pablo to get across to arnie to get him to take this meeting right what's going to be compelling you know why is this not a waste of his time um but all and you know and i'm trusting that arnie knows you and you know arnie and i'm leaning on your relationship so i'm being respectful to you i'm asking if you're willing to open that door i'm making the case for you so that it's easy for you and it makes you look good because you know you've done your homework because i've done my homework does that make sense
1: it makes perfect and sense. We,
0: we see what happens from there. I
1: like it. I like it. listen i hear I hear a couple of things, right? I hear, be prepared, right? Like know exactly what you're looking for. Be able to paint the why clearly.:
0: Yes, the mm-hmm. why is critical.
1: Making it easy is, is critical with an ask, right? Like I find that a lot of people reach out to like, let's get, let's grab coffee or lunch anytime you want. I'm like, that doesn't make it easy for me, man. Tell me like Tuesday, my- 10, Wednesday at six or, or C. none of the above, right? Like give me like a multiple choice, L- make it easy to make that connection. And then another thing that I think you're saying that is brilliant is gatekeepers, man. I think gatekeepers yes. are the most underrated highest ROI relationships that you can have because people 100%. are always looking past them to try to get to that person, while if you're just like, no, no, you're the person that I want to know, it really gives yeah. them that value.
0: Think about CEOs. Who do CEOs rely upon? They typically rely upon, if not just as much their C-suite you know, level partners as they do, their gatekeeper is are there executive assistants do not sleep on the EAs because they know more about them than probably, you know, their spouses. And that's real talk for me, that has been an experience. But also I would say I'll I'll add in there, um, you know, with regard to gatekeepers and especially when their executive assistants do not ever belittle them, take them for granted because of that title. They do more than you could possibly ever know as the right hand to that leader. That person it makes it possible for that leader to function, to travel, to do the things that they do and, and keep it all on pace in a day. That is, that is a critical role. Definitely. And, uh, I and they, will tell you, for me, you know, getting to know them and valuing them has been priceless in building good relationships.
1: I totally agree. I totally agree. And they, I mean, they have, the, they have the ability to just put your name on their calendar. Boom. Like you don't even have to, they can get you in the room. All you need is that face to face. That's it.
0: Yeah, absolutely.
1: Absolutely. 100%. 100%. So I know that you, so you then left, you left Habitat. You started dating Robin. I remember when you and Robin met. First of all, I want to go back to that moment, Anicia, and and really thank (laughs) you, man. No, listen, you, you really saw me at one point, right? Like we, I had, I was engaged to be married. I broke off the engagement. I think for guys, it's much less stigmatized, but you, you really took it out and you took me out to what's that place on the river, man. You took me out to Garcia's and, and we had, and we had a drink and you're like, Hey man, you know, sometimes life doesn't go how it's planned. Right? Like I look at me, I'm here, I'm having a baby. I didn't expect to do this on my own. And, it was it was really one of those moments that I felt truly truly seen, and it really meant a lot to me. So, you know, like, w- while we're on that, while we're on that tip,
0: thank you, Pablo. I can't believe you. Wow, you're taking you're taking me places.
1: <laughs> yeah, 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 man. Listen, we how long have we known? we've known we known each other ten years now.
0: Gosh, yeah. yes. Sherrod yeah. and I were just talking about uh, having an anniversary trip. I think we all need to go somewhere. Uh,
1: I have a house in North Carolina. I might want to suggest
0: Word. I see your mountains in the background and you hear my children in the background. So let's do it.
1: (laughs) (laughs) All right. So that's coming. That's coming. So, so then you, before
0: you you jump off that, I want to say something and thank you so much for bringing up that memory, but I'm going to, I'm going to touch on this because it's critical. You no long, you, you grew from a volunteer into a friend, right? You're hearing that pattern it was so critical for me to honor you as a friend and to, to take you aside as my brother, to share, to open up my life and be vulnerable with you, um, in your vulnerability with me, right? And to say, I love you, this is life and I stand with you, right? So, and I think that's part of the secret sauce too. And, and we still, you know, are getting to know each other, but I was honoring you as a, as a human. I was honoring you as a friend and, and soon to be brother. Right.
1: Yeah. Yeah. That's a big deal. You know, I, I say it all the time, right. Shared vulnerability is one of the biggest drivers of connection. Like I think shared vulnerability and adding value to somebody's life. Right. And you know, we had already added a bunch of value to each other's lives, but we had never really spent time being vulnerable together. And you, you know, you took that initiative and that was definitely an echelon up. We like power up our relationship at that point. Right? Like, like it. it was, it was, it was definitely a, deline- a delineation of like, all right, this is, this is real. This isn't just a, a, you know, a, we are, we're a working relationship or whatever. This is a, let's, let's look at each other like human beings. And, and, and add yes. that, that was on another level. It was, it was, it was amazing. Truth. Awesome. And you know, while we're on that topic, women are better than do at doing that than men, right? like I think I think women yeah
0: are, I would say yeah, please. Some men, I mean, I think you know so I think it it can be dependent upon you know quite a quite a number of things, right? Your upbringing because I've certainly met a lot of very. Stoic, non-emotional women, right? That that is so not their comfort zone. It's not the norm, but I think your your you know your upbringing can play into that. I think that your personal values play into that. Yeah. Um. But I would say you know generally speaking, you know I'm, sure, I'm pretty confident the science proves you know girls, females, we we, and there's a lot of conversation happening about this right now, but you know, women can empathize in a, in a, in there's, it's, it's, it can be a little bit more natural for women to empathize. We take the care route. We take the emotion, the emotion route. Sure. Um, so physiologically, right. That happens. Yeah. Um, I mean,
1: there's definitely but there's also definitely upbringing. some nature and some nurture, right? Like it's definitely, yeah. you know, society skews towards nurturing women that way, but there, there is some, correct. You're already <laughs> the nourisher of life, right?
0: <laughs> I would agree with that.
1: Yeah. You, you and your fat cheek babies. <laughs>
0: this is true this is very true but I think you know there there's a lot of truth to you know girls being groomed that way right and that's something that we know um us mothers parents we need to work on you know everything from putting our little girls into the pink box and you know Encouraging our little boys in the math and encouraging the girls in the arts. No, encourage girls in everything that you know they they're interested in. Encourage them in science and math and and arts and music as well. You know, yeah. expose your boys to that. And yep. and I think that that's critically important.
1: Yeah, I agree. I I think for for the time being, for our generation where we were already raised a certain way, I just encourage guys to have healthy relationships with women that can bring them that kind of balance in that scenario. Right. Like my, everything in my being was like, Oh dude, Anicia is taking me out to happy hour. Maybe, maybe we're making out, but no, it was like Anicia Anicia is taking me out to happy hour because she is a, a, a very, you know, integral part of my life and she's going to give me some good wisdom. And when, you know, like, the, the, having the balance of having woman friends allowed me to to be balanced through that period that was very unbalancing mm-hmm. for me. Right, like going from I'm about to be married to Ooh. I'm 29 Ooh. years old and single is uh, is a uh, you know most guys are go into a not a balance mode. Right? I'm seeing it now with my friends that are getting divorced. Right, like it's Ooh. not a be, be, being able to. And I think that that was important. to then I met Marta two months later. You know, and it it was, I was in a balanced mindset and and because I have male and female relationships, the moment that you lose a partner, you know, you can still keep that balance in your life, right? So you were, you were a big source of that, right?
0: Thank you so much for saying that, Pablo. I think, you know, for me, you know, connections and connecting with people and seeing them, you know, I think maybe that is, for me, maybe... And that could be a part of my secret sauce, you know, I genuinely, not, I love to connect with people. My husband tells me often, you yes. can't just go to the grocery store and walk through the grocery store and get your list. <laughs> you got to talk to everybody. <laughs> but for me, you know, you're just, you never know how you can impact somebody's life. And more so, I feel like we all have the capacity to give love. We are all one. Like, I genuinely, genuinely believe that. Um... You know, you you never know the impact you could have on somebody's life just by saying thank you. You know, but you yeah, asking somebody how their how their day is. You know, I think that. Um the world could use a lot more of that having dialogue and checking in and being good neighbors and um, you know those are values that I'm teaching my children also things that you know I learned growing up thankfully you know in the Caribbean culture oh my gosh our door is always open. Um, I joke and say too much but you know I learned so much about community and oh my gosh, just connecting with people, through that open-door policy, through block parties in New York, where we had like eight different cultures on the block, you know, and everybody bringing, um, you know, food to the barbecues and parties. Like we so much value and shared culture and connecting and, you know, having that relation, you know, between each other was so critical. And I tell people, I say, you know, I love you know taking my children around the world and I know that we are blessed for that. I love taking them to museums. I love taking them, you know, to whole no-all pizza joints to see everything, you know, um, to hear different languages, to experience different cultures that will make them better people. They will, it will make them more understanding, more tolerant, more, more wise to connect with all those different things This what, has made me who I am, and I I will forever be grateful um, yes. to my my parents for that story. You know, ours is an immigrant story. I know you can resonate with that. Yep. Where our families came here with minimal, and so we valued the dollar, but we also valued more than anything the time with each other, the memories, the traditions. You know, our faith. All of those things were critical to. To, to me, to, to making me the person I am now. And I would say consciously choosing this profession of, you know, nonprofit work. I choose in my to dedicate my work time, to dedicate the time I'm going to be away from my family. I dedicate my life to service in this way. I had a girlfriend who... Um, finance in dc and she'd be a killer lobbyist you can you can tell a story girl and i'm like yeah i probably can be but when i'm able to sleep with myself at the end of the night and so i consciously chose this profession for that reason the opportunity to meet people that were in need um and be everyday humbled by and full of gratitude for my blessings right um Mm -hmm. and meet incredible movers and shakers in the community so i had this for me in my work, this awesome, these awesome points of connection with every point of life, those, you know, that, that really were dependent upon organizations that I served, you know, or, or offering them their first home in the case of Habitat. I mean, to be with people do um, that kind of experience. It's a game changer. You know, when you hand the keys to some, you know, hand the keys to someone for their, their first home, there's nothing like that. So yeah. the, the yeah. opportunity to connect with people as they go through that is so critical.
1: It's empowering, man. Like you know, like the idea that we could get fifteen people together, and you know, f- six months later created this thing that's still around, right? Like the like Habitat Young Professionals Miami is still around. They're yeah. still doing stuff. I remember my yeah, I think it was the first year of my presidency. We raised like twenty six thousand dollars. Like that's not yeah, it's a, 30. Like, that's,
0: yeah, yeah, that's a big was- deal.
1: That's, that's, you know, it, it's really empowering the stuff that you can do. And I, I hear a lot of correlation, right? Like I, I do think that being Caribbean being, you know, I, I don't know if that counts as Latin American, but that region, right? Like that, that, that region of the Caribbean where Cuba, Venezuela, Trinidad, you know, like where, where, where all this lies, Jamaicans, right? I can never talk to a Jamaican person would i be like, this guy's great. <laughs> you know, like they're all they're always so open. Um, and <laughs> I I think it comes naturally, right? Like the openness and the wanting to connect comes naturally. But then I think the other level that makes us super connectors is the wanting to serve, right? Like I I think Mm. that it is way easier to love to make connections with people when you are trying to make connections for them, not for you.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I would agree. I would a hundred percent agree.
1: Yeah. So so after Habitat, you moved to Tampa. I know. So, so that's when I lose a little bit of track on your roles. I know at some point you were in a healthcare system as well, right?
0: Yeah. So... After Habitat, I had a one got a wonderful opportunity with a small Jewish organization here in Tampa, mm-hmm. uh, on the Tampa side. I'm on the St. Pete side. Um, uh, called Tampa Bay Job Links. They're a workforce development organization. And to give you an idea of time frame, by this point, it's around 2008, and uh, you know, circa 2008. Circa Great Depression, yeah, yeah. Um, or Great Recession, right? No, but and we so- met.
1: Listen, I moved. I moved from California to Miami two thousand nine. So we met. We met two thousand nine, right? So you're like you're moving to Tampa like two thousand eleven ish, ten ish.
0: So we moved two thousand. Sorry, that was a. So the the great recession that happened. Thank you yeah. in terms of timeline. So we're still feeling the residual. It's still hard. Of,
1: 2011 uh, is still real hard. Yeah, yeah.
0: yeah. My apologies. Like yeah. time fuzzy. Um, so post grace, post great recession, we had a lot of um, a lot of middle level managers, higher level managers that were out of work, and so this organization saw a need to help. Um, guide a lot of these people through, uh, the transition folks that have been in their positions for 25, 30 years that did know the landscape of the work, you know, navigating the workforce any longer. So I had the opportunity to, um, be their point person over development and fundraising and also to help open doors to companies. So it, it, was right in line with you know my corporate philanthropy background that I would say really I got started at uh Habitat um to help open doors for these these people that needed work
1: Mm -hmm.
0: while building their fundraising platform.
1: Okay and so you land in a new market how do you start making connections immediately?
0: Oh, short order. I joined the chamber, uh, joined their young professionals group, mm-hmm. um, met some great people there. Um, and I would say I spent a lot of time in the business journal and going to business journal events. Uh, so I would say networking and definitely uh, my nonprofit work. So um, starting to get involved with Organizations, Well, staying very involved, I would say, with the Association of Fundraising Professionals, you know, connecting with others um, and starting to just get involved in the community and definitely with the Young Professionals group. I really dug into the chamber. I became an ambassador. Um, ambassador programs to any chamber of commerce is a brilliant way to welcome new companies. Um, so it was a it was a twofer for me. Right? Tell me more. Tell me more. Yeah right. what
1: is the ambassador say, program of a chamber what is that
0: So the ambassador program uh, most chambers have a program of ambas- where they have ambassadors or people that are reaching out to new members old members existing members as ambassadors to 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 do any list of outreach on behalf of the chamber so you know we you for example morning meeting you get a list of about 10 to 15 companies um, their relationship to the chamber and we would you know go around the room round robin and call out who was going to reach out to what company um, and then follow back up with the chamber after we you know Contacted those companies and individuals, so I found that to be a really priceless way to connect. Um, and they gave us the opportunity to uh, talk a little bit about, you know, how, we're, how we were involved with the chamber first and foremost, but then also where we were working uh, to, to build a relationship with uh, with these companies and build rapport. So that for me was a great a really great method of, of making connections.
1: Yeah. That sounds brilliant, man. Like I, you know, I am I'm always looking for when I, when I got to Jacksonville, I was just looking for what is the avenue that I can use as an excuse to reach out to people, to start making relationships. Uh, I I'd never heard of a chamber ambassador program and I've honestly never really been involved with any chambers I never got involved with the Miami Chamber okay. I just went straight through the nonprofits right so I just kept looking for nonprofits yeah. and I feel like do you, do you get the sense maybe this is only in Jacksonville I I also was never super impressed by the Chamber of Commerce in Miami because I felt like I had something more meaningful than what I had found. And maybe it was just lightning in the bottle at HYP and then Leadership Miami. But do you find that chambers have misperceptions? Do people generally poo-poo chambers for very transactional networking and they're wrong? Or... Is it
0: no I think that it has there's there's a, there's a reason it has that mo and that's because that that is how many chambers are structured I think that good chambers have a have a mix right so they have of course their standard different levels they have hopefully you know a, a thriving young professional program. They have business programs where that are serving different, you know, types of communities. Um, For example, you know, Latino and you know, minority business accelerators, critically important to chambers, um, something that I'm an advocate for. But I would say for me in my experience, um, I've had good experience with with chambers of commerce. The relationships that I've built on the nonprofit side, far none the, the best relationships. And I would say to your point earlier, when you connect around a mission, there's something to be said around that. You know, when you think about a business meeting, yeah, you know, it's, it's good to, you, you connect on business, but when you start talking to somebody and you get out of the numbers and you get people out of their head and out of their job and you ask, so what are you doing in the community? It's like, you know, the veil comes down in a whole different way. You take somebody themselves and you're actually learning about them and not just you know, their, their corporate persona, if you will, you know? Yeah. So I would say chambers are good for, for something, you know, in terms of connections, I have certainly um, the connections that I've, that I've been fortunate to make through my work on the nonprofit side um, even within companies have been around a mission.
1: Interesting. Yeah. That makes perfect sense to me. I, you know, I, and I tell people all the time, right. When you're trying to get to know somebody, you don't want to ask them what they do. You want to ask them something that they're passionate about, right? Like, like I, I, I always, instead of saying, what are you passionate about? Which I do sometimes say when I start a conversation, mm-hmm. if I'm just not getting anything out of somebody, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, I like to start with what brings you here. Cause then at the very least that allows yeah. some motivation to come out.
0: Yes, I agree. And even, you know, with those chamber events, yes, you know, you, depending upon what level event you're going to, right? Because like I said, each chamber has their different levels. If you're going to sort of like a one-on-one sort of mass chamber event, yeah, the majority of people in the room are sales B2B people. But, you know, even in that, you, know, you never know who's in that room. You never know what kind of connection you're going to make, even with that salesperson. You know, and yeah. so asking the questions like you just asked. So tell me about yourself. Like tell me about the community. I'm new here. You yeah. know, looking yeah. for places to get involved. Um, what do you What do you like about the chamber? You know, mm-hmm. that's a um, good one. I didn't think about that. What are What you know What are What's your best connection that you've made through the chamber? Yeah. I think asking people, you know, what's your goals at the end of the day? Why are you here? Is such a great question.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, You know, I wanted to ask you also, when you're talking about the Association for Fundraising Professionals, Mm -hmm. it's kind of counterintuitive for me to think that you're making valuable connections with other people that are fundraising. Right, like, can can you explain that a little bit more? Right, because I I see it when I would go to like the Latin Builders Associations in Miami, I'm just mm-hmm. like, nope, because <laughs> <You know? laughs> it was other it was other builders, right? Like everybody was was in the same room doing the same thing, but I don't know mm-hmm. if maybe fundraisers are just a different breed of cat. I guess every fundraiser is a super connector, whereas like every builder is not.
0: Um, yeah, so you definitely when in, in a room full of fundraisers, yeah, you definitely have a lot of doobies, you have a lot of alphas, right? Um however, you know, I would say with the Association of Fundraising Professionals, um, you have a lot of people that have a lot of heart. You have a lot of people that are, you know, good percentage of them are interested in being, you know, helping the community move forward, right? So then you have this, this sort of audience of, of people that, you know, are, are genuine connectors. Um, and typically when you're meeting in a fundraising, you know, meeting with a group of fundraisers, you all have shared experiences, right? Where the fundraising role is a very interpersonal, um, emotional, uh, position, right? So there's something about, you know, sort of like hey, in a way. It's like, all right, man, you get it. You understand. Like, tell me about your trials. Like, tell me about your case studies. Tell me about, you know, there's, for me, I have always enjoyed um, AFP because I get to learn what others are doing. You know, the luncheons are usually around a topic. Again, that's what you make of it, right? The reason that I um, get in, always got involved in a committee or, you know, and in some cases were, was asked to lead. It's because I had the opportunity to build. I'm an architect in in the sense of I I like to help others. I like to build programs that help others and lead effective initiatives to better my profession. Like I think about how I can help others in the field to be better, learn, help myself to learn. Um, and I think that that's what organizations like AFP can do, um, help us to be better. Um, at what we do and fine-tune our craft, maybe grow in our craft, um, be certified in our craft. So I personally have found a lot of value um, in it. I makes guess, sense. you know, it's, it's different perhaps in some ways. Um,
1: yeah, it makes consider sense.
0: The, consider your demographic. Who is in, well, let me ask you this. Tell me about the demographic and, and makeup of your, your room of builders and Builders
1: association well so no he i, I mean heard. everything you said made sense right like everything you said made sense it is it is the person that's uh i mean you know i don't want to i don't want to i don't want to be too down on builders right but there is there's a decent amount of mouth breathers in that room right like like and i feel i i feel that in in the uh afp it's a it's kind of what I would tell people in Miami right like I would say Miami's a really flaky city, but if you're networking in rooms that have to do with philanthropy, everybody walking into that room passes one test, which is you care about at least one thing that isn't yourself so, to 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 the 100%. to the tiniest bit. So you know a f p definitely passes that test right like you wouldn 't be a fundraising professional if you weren 't there, so that makes sense to me that it would be more valuable, even though they are the same people targeting maybe the same customers doing yeah. everything else while like a, you yeah. know to be a builder, you can be very selfish and be a builder uh, you know i've seen it um and and you can also be a very Agustín Arellano, person that builds communities, builder kind of guy, right? So mm-hmm. so I could see that. So, Nice, I you know, I I feel like we've been going through your career like if it's like an IMDb filmography, right? But I I I want to kind of wrap up in like the next 7 8 minutes. I know yes. that you've also done, you know, you you've done Faith-based fundraising. You've done Habitat. You've done um, economic development stuff. I know you were in healthcare at one point. Now you're consulting. Yes. I you Have a wealth of experience. I think you're a super duper boss. Um, one of one of very few people that I'm close to that I if you tell me I got a job for you, I'd be like, I'm in. Right. Um, <laughs> what are what are nonprofits? Do, what are, what are they doing wrong? Like, what are you what are you seeing? Jeez. What are you seeing that? you see over and over in the ecosystem that people are getting wrong about the way that they either manage nonprofits or the way that they perceive nonprofits or the way that they're building what's missing.
0: So I will, I will share with you on a, you know, his, in terms of history in um, my tenure, I you mentioned healthcare. I was very fortunate um, to work with Johns Hopkins All Children's, foremost medical institution. I was charged with leading their uh, corporate philanthropy on the local level as a senior corporate gift officer there, and it was incredible to be around. You know, to be in the the space where I mean, truly saving lives. Right? You have some of the foremost Medical practitioners in the community, some from around the world, um, and it, while absolutely one of the most incredible opportunities I've ever had, it was truly daunting. Um, you're with these brilliant scientists and and physicians day in and day out. Um, you you know, as a, for me at the time, working with this large foundation of exceedingly brilliant professionals, you know, um, brilliant leadership, a lot to learn in a short amount of time in terms of, um, not short amount of time, but a lot to learn about scientific information, medical information, which wasn't my background. That for me was incredible and daunting. Um, I would say... I worked some of the longest and hardest days at that hospital, but it was for such a good purpose. Um, but I didn't have healthy boundaries there. I felt like, wow, I've made it. I'm at this hospital working for foremost leaders. I had an incredible management team. Um, the hospital was going through a lot of changes, um, integrating and um, becoming a part of the Hopkins system. It was a local community hospital for 90 years. So as a front raiser, you're front line to this. So, and I was also tasked with, you know, building a local corporate philanthropy program from the ground up. So, you know, coming into, you know, still sort of new to the community, I was about, you know, four years in, um, you know, sort of still green behind the ears, certainly green when it came to medical terminology and having to share that mission. Um, Worked a lot of long, long hours. And I would say learning that is where I think I learned The most about healthy boundaries. And uh, it came in the form of a lesson, you know, from one of my children. My eldest daughter said to me, would say to me, mommy, what time are you coming home? Because I was out often in the community networking, leaving early since I was coming back really late and was missing out on that time. And because I didn't have healthy boundaries. We were, again, doing great work, helping to save the lives of children. I was advocating for this incredible mission. And so I justified being away. Um, So I I would say, you know, what nonprofits can do better is making sure to, to encourage your staff, especially your development staff, to take
1: Care of themselves, to go home. And incredibly important to sleep, to
0: recharge your batteries in the same way that it, I think it's critical and important to take a vacation and take staycations and, and do that. Pablo, I see you're moving and I'm going to, you hear the, the cackling in the back, so I'm going to move too. <laughs> um, but I would say, you know, for nonprofit organizations, um, set healthy boundaries. Encourage your people to set healthy boundaries. They're going to be better for it if they are well, if they are taking care of themselves. Allow them to take their sick days. Don't give them, don't give them trouble for taking their sick days. Don't expect to, to, to hear from them via text or email on those Days don't reach out to them on their sick days. Um, How how can you build and invest in your people?
1: Yeah, I'm sorry. Say that again.
0: No, I was gonna. I was saying, train and invest in the development of your people. You're, you know, if people are valued, if people are connected, you're creating an environment where they are poured into. They will pour back. Um, I'm a true, true believer in that. Yes, people will come and go, but I think, you know, you survey your workforce, and you know, nine times out of ten, and this, you know, I don't have the hard data, but I would say nine times out of ten, people that leave an organization were not invested in, were not cared for. Um, nobody took the time to ask them how they're doing. Nobody took the time to honor them as individuals, as people that have a life outside of their you know, their work life. So I would say for nonprofits, train and invest in spend the money, spend the money and get good people. And if you're not willing to spend the money right now, have a plan to invest in that person. If you, you know, if you see a professional that has years of experience and you're trying to offer them, you know, what they would have made in high school, you're not going to have good, you know, you're not going to, to you, you reap what you sow. <laughs> in some regards. Yeah. Um, so get a good budget together to, to get good people in the door.
1: Okay. I like it. I, you know, it's not funny to me. I, I, it's, it's obvious to me that we can end with reap what you sow because I think mm-hmm. you're somebody that reaps, man. Like you, you <laughs> I mean, I'm sorry. You're someone that sows a lot and, because of because of that you <laughs> reap a lot right like but you are you're you are very much someone that i have seen go through you know now three stages of life sowing and sowing and sowing and sowing but mm-hmm. i've never seen you not reaping as well so i think it is it is a very good way to describe you 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 invest in people emotionally you invest in people time wise you invest yourself into organizations and into causes that isn't just you and to your children into your husband into your friends and you know i just want to i want to really commend you for being somebody that really does that you're somebody that really goes the extra mile Everything from I remember the first turnover of of, of the hey, board when you gave each of hey, hey. us to to taking me aside after you know I broke up my you know my relationship and and now the way that you and Robin just are always watching out for Marta and I and everything that we're doing and the the outsized like amount of love that you show us. I really, really just want to acknowledge you for that, anicia um
0: thank you my friend it is an honor to know you I consider it a blessed day for us to come together and to make you know to make community together right and to build a friendship with one another and it all started with habitat it, it started with your desire to give back um, that desire that you know to give back that was inspired by your parents that was given to you by your culture and your your home ecosystem in life um and i'm happy that we were able to connect for good i'm grateful for it um i'm excited to see all that you're doing i know in the same way that i sow a lot into people the same way you do the same you know and now as you build this business to connect others and help us to be more connective as a as a collective um, oh is something that is critical now more than ever right we live on our phones we live in emails like it's the standard to work on vacations um it's time for us to connect and and move forward as a society and move forward as a people and i think a way for us to do that is by thinking about someone else other than ourselves how can how can i help you how can i connect and help you move forward and um, help move our community forward. What can we do? What can we start? Um, tell me about your dreams. Tell me about your hopes. Tell me about what you're going through. Um, can I assist you in any way? And if I don't, and if I can't, can I can I help connect you with someone that maybe can? Thank you for offering that to me. Thank you for creating that ecosystem where you are in Jacksonville now. And, and I'm sure going to be throughout the nation. It is good. The timing is right. Um, and you're the man for it. You are the hero for it,
1: bro. I love it. it. I love it. Mic yeah. drop. Mic drop. Love you, Alicia. Love you. Thank you so much, ma'am. All right. I mean, how awesome was that? It is impossible not to just love Anisia. Key takeaways from this episode, which I'll get into, and then to let you know, there's some outtakes at the beginning of this one that I put at the end of us just kind of joking around with each other, building rapport in the beginning. So if you want to hear that, you like the rapport I have with Anisia, stick through to the end. Listen to the rest of Yogi. You know the song rules, so you know you want to hear it anyways. And now for the key takeaways. One fundraisers for philanthropies are two things, people to know and people that you want to hire because the skill sets that they accrue in this career make them total badasses. Two, getting involved with philanthropies leads you to Access with decision makers that are on the boards of nonprofits and incredible friendships of very giving people that get involved and they attract that social circle. So, if you want a great social circle, get involved with philanthropies. I say it all the time, and there's nothing I believe in more. Three, having platonic friends from the opposite sex equals balance in your life. When you're having a hard time, sometimes you need that balance. Sometimes you need that perspective from someone from the opposite sex to just kind of reel you in. Hanging out with people different from you is good. And this is what ties into my networking superchargers that Anicia illustrated really well. Two things. One, the importance of the gatekeeper. Get to know the gatekeepers of influential people. They are some of the people with the most access, and it's really, really underappreciated attention. They have the way to get you in the door with the people that you want. So never underestimate the gatekeeper, the executive assistant, the person following somebody around with a camera, those types of people. And another networking supercharger tip that also gets addressed is keeping it simple. When you're making an ask, keeping the options completely open is a bad idea. You need to tell somebody exactly why you're making the ask, what's in it for the person that's being asked, and just give them multiple choice examples of how to do it. Make it simple so that people do it for you. If you liked this episode and you like this podcast, you're liking this stuff. I, you, please, 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 just like share it with somebody. Take a screenshot, post it on your social media. Would be amazing for me. Even better, you want to be my Best friend, go in there, leave a review. I want other people to find this stuff. I really want to put these messages out there. I think it really helps. If you agree, please do it. And with no more further ado, you're gonna get to hear the outtakes of me and Anisha just joking around after you listen to the stiltsville. This song rules. It's called Yogi. Check him out on Spotify. Yacht Rock from Miami, Florida. Take it away, boys. i in- Nice. What's going on?
0: Hey, look how beautiful it looks in the background of your home.
1: I'm all right. This is North Carolina. My dad just bought this crib out here.
0: <laughs> I'm like, wait, dude, are those mountains?
1: <laughs> those are mountains. Those are the great Jacksonville mountains.
0: Oh, so- <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, ha, ha, ha. dude, we're both going to be North Carolina.
1: Yeah. Yeah, you you're gonna be in North Carolina for Thanksgiving?
0: Yeah, we'll be in Gastonia.
1: I knew I knew that I knew that you got roots over here. Where's Gastonia? Darren,
0: where are you guys up in the mountains?
1: We are in uh by like Brevard. Brevard uh, yeah cashiers oh kind of like gosh. that. Yeah
0: we're coming hiking um tomorrow, no Wednesday. Wednesday.
1: Marta gets here Tuesday night, so
0: oh sweet. Oh yeah. my gosh. Awesome. Yeah. I'm like, it looks so wooded. There. It's
1: so nice. It's so nice out here. Like uh, to this way is like the lake and then the, like the clubhouse of the country club and stuff like that. And I just, just played nine Great. holes of golf.
0: So he's in, um, oh, you played golf this morning?
1: I just played nine holes. Yeah. With my dad and oh, my uncle. Yeah. So cool.
0: good. Did I tell you that I'm learning?
1: No, you didn't tell me. Tell yeah, me about it. Yeah, I started
0: lessons, man. Let me tell you, this has been like a forever goal of mine. Yeah. And, um, yeah, I I went ahead and actually I met a great organization um, through a conference. So literally a speaker, this woman named Clemmy Perry, um, she launched this organization called Women of Color Golf to encourage and empower women of color to play the game of sport, um, especially encouraging women executives and young women to learn the sport so that you know, they'd have this tool in the toolbox. And personally, as a fundraiser, I've been planning them for years and never playing them. And I'd always want to. And then I married a Scotsman. I'm like, all right, legit. I've got to learn, like, now.
1: It is it is a boss lady move I would expect you to do. To learn to play <laughs> it's,
0: a, it's about damn time.
1: Yeah, it is a boss I'm lady move.
0: Clubs, I'm a wicked putter, man.
1: Yeah. Dude, I was crushing <laughs> drives today. Like, I'm not a good Were boss you? by any means. But, like, yeah. I I have my moments, and today was on the drive. Like, every single drive, I just crashed. It was awesome. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Sweet.
0: I made the mistake before I started to watch. A, I was watching a drive competition. Uh-huh. Like, whoa, shouldn't have done that before I started. <laughs> I'm like, I'm to hit it. I'm to hit it 315 yards. I are like, uh, yeah. okay.
1: Yeah, the only thing worse to watch before, before playing golf is Happy Gilmore. Then you're just like, you'll really mess up your golf game. <laughs>
0: Ah <laughs> uh, legit legit <laughs> yeah, yeah uh so i'm looking forward to today i didn't realize it was a uh, video meeting but
1: we're- yeah well zoom allows me zoom allows me to record
0: oh uh, sweet sweet sweet
1: yeah so i figured listen man i figured we'd just kind of kind of talk uh i'm just going to be like so how do we meet and uh and and kind of go from there and then i and i just kind of want to Deconstruct kind of like your career path since you and I have met, and okay. uh you know i think I think you'll end up sounding like a badass and uh and we'll and we'll figure out you know we'll from there we'll break off lessons we've learned along the way and stuff like that.
0: yeah, let's do it. I'm excited,
1: okay, all right, so.